Our second Bible reading comes from 1 John, chapter 4, verses 7 to 16. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not know does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and he sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Rick will now bring us the sermon. As John said, this week we are continuing in our Lessons from Lockdown series. And today, what we're looking at really carries on, follows on from what we started to look at last week, that relationships matter. Uh, Last week, we saw that not only is it that relationships matter, which of course is clearly obvious in lockdown, but the Bible pushes us even further to see that we weren't just made for relationships, but we were made for love, that the best kind of relationships are when we love others. And today, we're kind of looking at that a little bit more, and we're considering the fact, the the idea of the joy and pain of love. But please pray with me as we come to look at this together. As with last week, um, we're just going to be touching on the passage that we read and jumping around a few other places as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we spend this time in your word together in our various places, that you will be enabling us to hear what you have to say to us, that your spirit that has brought us to know the love that you have shown to us, that that spirit will be working love out through us towards the people around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It seems to me that one of the silver linings, I guess you could say, of the present crisis with the pandemic and the lockdown and so on, is that for some people at least, it's causing us to look outside of ourselves to the people around us. It's, it's kind of pushing us out of our normally independent and kind of uh, maybe selfish lives to see the people around me who I can help. And people are realising at the moment, I think, that there is real joy that can be found in helping others and in loving our neighbours, that it's a good thing to do, and in fact, it's good for us. You might remember last year, early on in the lockdown, when everyone was panic buying toilet paper, and there was often no toilet paper at all on the shelves, people started gifting toilet paper to their neighbours. Now, at any other time, that'd be a really strange thing to do, but in that moment, it was a way to love the people around them. Even right now, my neighbour across the street has set up a chalkboard in the shape of a person and every day they write on a new message or riddle or joke specifically to try and lift people's spirits during the lockdown. 
There's another neighbour who walks down the street every, every day, pretty much, and she makes a particular point of saying hi to people, again, to encourage people and to lift their spirits during the lockdown. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was picking up takeaway from Thai Buffalo just around the corner from my house, and it wasn't quite ready when I went to pick it up. And I got talking to another guy who was waiting there, and it turns out he had just come from cleaning a woman's house who was currently in hospital, getting the house ready for her to be able to come home to a house that is actually livable in. See, it seems to me that in these moments, people are reaching out to care for the people around them and recognising that it does bring joy to be able to love others. And I think as we recognise that, what we're seeing is the goodness of how God has made us to live that he has made us to love our neighbour. We just recognise that there is clearly something good and right about living that kind of way. It's kind of built into our consciences because that's how God has made us to live. But again, today, what I want to do is I want to suggest, like we saw last week, that the Bible takes what we experience in the world as true and good because it's how God has made us to live And the Bible sheds new light on that. It takes us further and it challenges us to rethink what we know about how to live in God's world and to see it through the lens of what God actually has to say to us about that. And when it comes to love, I think there are two things that are really so distinctive about the kind of real love that God says when he tells us to love our neighbour as ourselves, And the first one is this. The first real distinctiveness of love is that love costs. Real love is costly. And we see that in our Bible reading today, that Jesus gave up his life out of love for us. That's what it cost him. And these verses tell us that not only was that effective, because his death paid the penalty for our sin, but it was also an example for us to follow. Jesus' love in laying down his life for us was an example for us to follow. Let me read again from those verses in 1 John 4, beginning at verse 9 now. 1 John 4, verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And you see it again in the chapter before that, on the same page in my Bible, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, it says a similar thing. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? See, the ultimate example of real love is costly. It was Jesus literally laying down his life for us. It was self-sacrificial in the ultimate sense. 
See, when Jesus went to the cross and when Jesus died on the cross, I tell you, he didn't have a warm inner glow, a fuzzy, nice feeling of being able to help other people like we might get when we help someone. For him, there was anguish and pain. For him, there was, I don't want to do this. Could there not be any other way? But he did it for our sake. He literally laid down his life. That's what love is. And that's how we know what love is. And we're told that that's what our love should be like as well. Love that goes beyond the joy or the reward that I might feel from caring for others, that sense of satisfaction or community or or bond that it creates. And it keeps loving for the sake of the other person, even when it hurts, even when it doesn't feel rewarding. You're laying down your life. is not rewarding. It's painful. It's, It's literally death. And we're told that if we have received that kind of love from God, if we have the spirit of God in us who has loved us like that, then that should flow out from us in the ways that we love others. Love that counts the cost and goes ahead and does it anyway. In that second reading that I just read from 1 John 3, it gives the specific example of this, of helping someone who is in material need. I remember a number of years ago, I was with a friend who was helping someone out financially and he literally pulled out a crisp $100 note from his wallet and gave it to this guy. And, it, and it, you should have seen this guy's kind of eyes light up when he got given that money. And it was such a spontaneous act of generosity and it was a good thing to do. It was very generous of my friend and it does make you feel good to be able to help someone in that way. But I wonder, it might not be as dramatic, but I wonder if it's more, even better, to actually sit down with our budget and go, well, this is how much I earn. If I change my lifestyle a little bit, how much could I really give? Not just spontaneously or one-off, But could I set up a direct debit to give a certain chunk of money every month to an organisation or a charity or a person who needs it? That kind of love is really counting the cost. It requires tightening the belt. It requires looking at what I can pay. It may not have that sense of satisfaction of, of being able to see the person that you're giving the money to, but it is counting the cost of real love. It's being deliberate about it and it actually enables us to care for people in even greater and more significant ways. Not just what what do I have on me right now, what do I have left over, but what can I give up so that I can care for someone even more? Another example, I think, of costly love that I think is particularly relevant in our church at the moment is caring for elderly parents. That is really costly love. It seems to me that right now there is a larger than usual number of people among us who are in this situation of needing to care for their elderly parents. Now, obviously, that's not directly relevant for everyone right now, but it is a great example for us all to see and to follow. And many of us will be in a situation like this at some time. 
It is such a good example of the costliness of real love. Caring for elderly parents is so draining, physically, emotionally, financially. It dominates so much time and you've got to sacrifice other things that you might rather do. I've seen this up close with my own parents caring for their parents and the toll that it took. And I know that it often goes unappreciated. When people get to needing this kind of care, they're often not in a situation where they're able to express their thanks or their appreciation. In fact, often it's quite the opposite and it seems like they don't want it even though they need it. And those of you who are in this situation don't need me to tell you how difficult it is. But I want to say and to encourage you that this is a great example of the costliness of real love. It's hard to do, but it is beautiful to see. And it's a wonderful act of love. It's a great example for the rest of us to see what real love looks like. This is the love that is counting the cost and giving up your life for the sake of someone else. So that's the first distinctiveness of real love, that love costs. The second important distinction of real love that God tells us and that he shows us in his own example is that loving your neighbour really means loving your enemy. You know, you sometimes hear people say that Jesus' words, love your neighbour as yourself, that you can see similar kinds of ethical teachings in a lot of the world's religions. And perhaps there's some truth in that. As I said, the rightness of loving others is built into our consciences by God. And so it's not surprising that we see that coming out instinctively in people's behaviours and in, in various teachings. But the real distinctiveness of Jesus' teaching is who he means when he says, love your neighbour as yourself. You might remember that just after Jesus said those words, love your neighbour as yourself, someone quizzed him on that and said, so who is my neighbour? And it was at that point that Jesus told one of his most famous parables, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the point of that parable was your neighbour, who you must love, is your enemy. The person you must love is the person who is least likely to help you. That's the radical difference that Jesus' command to love makes. And again, we heard this a couple of weeks ago, didn't we, when we were, had our sermon from Romans chapter 5, that this is exactly how God has loved us. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or again, down in verse 10 of that same chapter, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. God's love is the love that welcomes his enemies to eat with him at his dining table. And he calls us to imitate that kind of love for the people around us. This is the love that doesn't look for what's lovable in the other person. It doesn't wait for them to love me back. And this, as I said, is where God's love, where real love is so distinctive and powerful. That loving your neighbour actually means 
loving your enemy. Now, you might be able to immediately think of people who kind of fit that criteria for you as your enemy. And if that's the case, then those are people that you are called to love. But today, I want to suggest that that same principle applies to almost all of our relationships in some ways, because there will almost always be some element of opposition or enemy in all of our relationships. And at the same time, there will often be some element of costliness in all of our relationships, in our marriages, in our friendships, in parenting or for children with our parents, in churches, in all of these situations, this distinctiveness of real love makes such a difference. Love that costs, being willing to love when it's costly and love that keeps loving even when it's not returned or rewarded, that loves the enemy in my friend or my family or my loved ones. So let me try and give a few examples of situations where that might be the case. I was A while ago, I was doing marriage preparation with a couple that were about to get married, not a couple from our church. And as part of that, what I normally do is I get them to fill in an online survey to help them to think about their relationship. And one of the things that this survey kind of came back with was that they had unrealistic expectations about their upcoming marriage. They had this kind of idealistic view of what marriage would be like for them which is not uncommon for people who are getting married. Some people think that marriage is going to be this constant joy of living with my soulmate and that loving that person is always going to be easy. And, and God willing, that will be part of it. But real love in marriage is costly and not always easy. And if we don't recognise that, then we're setting ourselves up to fail. And this lockdown is putting extra strain on marriages. There is more time together, more financial pressure, less interaction with other people outside the home to kind of spread the relational load, so to speak. That's where loving your enemy speaks into marriage and where real costly love needs to make the difference. Not just loving when it feels good, but also when it doesn't feel good and when it hurts. And husbands are told that we need to lead the way in this. There can be so much joy in a good marriage, but real love in marriage doesn't wait for that and certainly doesn't demand it first. And the same applies to parenting. I think this lockdown is highlighting all the more that parenting is both difficult and valuable. We live in a culture, I think, where increasingly we tend to outsource parts of our life. You know, the things that I'm not good at or don't really like doing, I'll outsource those so I can focus on the things that I am good at and do like doing. And that's fine to a degree. And I think we also do this with parenting. We outsource our kids' education to schools, their spiritual formation to church, their entertainment to iPads. And, and to a degree, that's how it should be. Families are not meant to be an island. Raising children is meant to be a team effort with church and with the community and so on, which is why lockdown is highlighting 
how difficult parenting is because now all of a sudden parents are doing 100% of everything. And I hope that's showing us the value of parenting. It is a precious thing to raise another human being. There are not many things more valuable to do with your time than that. But it's hard. And again, this is where love, real love, needs to make the difference. When the cost is high and the reward is low. When it feels like there is very little appreciation or very little tangible benefits just day after day in the trenches. Now, hopefully it's not always like that, but sometimes it is. And if parents are going to love our children well, we need to recognise that and that that kind of love can be painful. And perhaps that's somewhere where people who are not parenting children at the moment can be encouraging other parents at the moment. It costs to do things for the good of someone else, but that's what real love looks like. Finally, I don't think I could talk about loving your neighbour in this present moment that we're in in history at the moment without talking about what this might look like with regard to vaccinations. I'm very aware that this is a sensitive and potentially divisive issue, and I'm also conscious that I'm not a doctor, I'm not a medical expert, and so I'm not speaking about this from that perspective at all. But it is important to think about this, to ha about how we love our neighbours in this regard at a, at a number of levels. I've had my first vaccination, I'm having my second one in a couple of weeks. Now, I'm not at particularly high risk when it comes to potential complications from getting COVID, but it seems to me that what's often missing in the public messaging and particularly encouraging people to get vaccinated is that this is how we can love our neighbours. Most of the advertising, most of the debates both for and against appeals to our self-interest. These are the benefits, these are the risks for me. But as Christians, I think we should be willing to consider this for the sake of people that I don't even know, particularly the vulnerable in our community, and that that should be a significant part of the decision-making for us. As I said, I'm not a medical expert, but I do encourage people to talk to your doctor whether vaccination is suitable for you, and that loving the people around us, I think, should be a motivation to take that. That's one aspect, I think, of what love can look like in this area. But on top of that, real love should also make a huge difference in how we talk about this issue and how we treat people that we disagree with, particularly in churches, but also more broadly. You might have noticed that this issue is often characterised on both sides of the argument by name-calling and by completely dismissing people because we disagree with them on this issue. Our love pushes us to do better than that, to actually love the person even while we disagree with them. Now let me finish now by just reminding us of where we have come. We know, I think, that there can be real joy and real satisfaction in loving the people around us, and we do often experience that. But really loving our neighbour is so much bigger 
and so much more significant when we see it from God's perspective and particularly with God's example of his love for us. It causes us to love even when it costs us and to love even our enemies. This is where Christian love needs to stand out as being remarkably different. Let's make sure that it does. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we do like the idea of love and we talk about it a lot. But when the rubber hits the road, we know that love is costly. And so we ask, Father, that you will so work in us by your spirit that the love that you have shown to us in Jesus that paid the ultimate cost, that that love will work itself out in our own lives and in our own love for the people around us. And may it not, Father, just be reserved for those people who love us back, but may it even be reserved, may, may, be, may even be extended to people who don't love us and even to our enemies or those who normally love us but are causing us hurt at the moment. And we pray, Father, that this really will shine a wonderful light to the people around us to see what real love is. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.